We serve a big God. I want to share today a second part to this, and I could have changed the title. I'm going to I'm going to try not to really review a whole lot. I just want to, I want to get to some things that I believe are, are so powerful. And I want us to begin, and that's part of what I was doing on my phone, or checking some things, But because um, I didn't have this in my notes for, for uh, Jason Whitney, but Ephesians chapter uh, 3. Let's go over to Ephesians chapter 3. And I want to begin here because, you know, how we view God affects us greatly. Uh, how we see ourselves in God also affects us greatly. Because if we don't see God as, as big enough to create the universe and yet small enough to be in our lives in the, in just in, in the smallest of details, we're going to disconnect. And, and, and even if we can see God as creator and believe in Him that way, sometimes people struggle with, they, they can't see who he says we are, or we can't see ourselves in him like we need to. You know, I tell you what, it's it's pretty amazing to me to, to think about how big things are. They were talking about the numbers of people. I heard some statistics, and, and you hear them all. The number of people that will watch the Super Bowl. The, the millions and millions of people, the, the, it's, it, it's, it's astronomical how many people will watch. And, and then they, they begin to talk about the amount of money you pay for a... Uh, 30-second spot, like $10 million or some nonsense. I mean, to me, that's just that's absurdity. But yet, here, there's one thing. There, there's a, a campaign out there, the He Gets Us campaign. You've probably heard about this. If you, if you haven't, you're going to hear about it. And, and I had questions about that at first. I, wanted, I wonder, anytime, it kind of sounds like something that uh, the uh, Mormons would do, the LES church would, would do. Sometimes they do some things that are kind of veiling who they are or what they're, what they're really about. But, but I, I was just a little bit concerned about this. and So I began to research it, and I, and I think it is a good, it's a good thing. I, I listened to a podcast uh, that they were talking about that. And of course, the Green family that, that owns uh, Hobby Lobby has supported this with a lot of money and, and put a lot. And, and I've heard criticism. Why would you spend that kind of money on this? Look at how many people you could help. Well, here, here's the, the same reason that I, I switched to a, a more simplified translation of the Bible or the same reason that I, I wake up every day and, and, and do what I do is just simply so that we can connect people to God because here's the thing. There is a world, and, and I believe the younger generation is seeking for more truth and, and reality than, than even the, maybe the generation or two right ahead of them. There is, there is a lot of those people who have never had a connection with God, never had any understanding of who God is. And if we can just give them the challenge to come to God, open the Bible, go to the YouVersion app. I give people a hard time about their, their electronic Bibles, but it's a tremendous resource. And the phenomenal thing is, is that, and I'm not making this about that, that campaign, but I think sometimes we get wrong, we miss opportunities with the World Wide Web, with social media, with some of these things. And, and, uh, and I, I'm amazed at how many people that we can reach or contact and connect with, and that's part of what that's. But the millions of dollars it takes to invest, and you, you think, man, here we are just wanting to build a building that's, that's a lot for us, but it's nothing compared to that. And I'm thinking, wow, you know, just, just to be connected with some of that, and yet it all, what, what I consider everything, when we look at our, how big our God is, that's still nothing to Him. 
the, the millions of people that are going to watch, the millions of dollars that are going to be spent. It, it's nothing in, in, in God because here's what we, we begin to, to get a, an understanding of who God is and how He's absolutely unlimited in, in this world. The fact that, that His command, we read last week, Hebrews 11.3, where by the command, by faith we believe that by His command, He created this world. By His word, by His command, He spoke it into existence. It's pretty amazing when we begin to think about it. And I want us to look here in Ephesians chapter 3 at the Apostle Paul as he's teaching about Jesus. And especially verse 20, it says, Now all glory to God who is able through His mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. You know, that there's several things that just grab me about that verse. First of all, through His mighty power at work within us, we got to understand that's, that He is at work within us. But also, he says, he says, you can accomplish, or to accomplish, His work in us, to accomplish infinitely more. Not just, not just barely more, not just a little bit more, but infinitely more than what we might ask or think. You ever, I, I, we were raised, if you were, especially in the South, but I think everybody who comes from a good home is taught to first response is to say no if somebody offers you something. You know, I, you go to their house and they, you, know, you got cake sitting there. Oh, you want a piece of cake? No, no. You know, or can I help you? Here, here's, here's, some, here's some money, kid. Oh, no. You know, we're taught that, and maybe not so much today, but I was raised that way. We were taught that way, and, and that was the way it was. You go to somebody's house, and, and you say, oh, you need something to drink, need some water. They'd be drinking a glass of tea. Oh, no, wouldn't want to do it. Well, see, we, we sometimes with God get that same mentality. Oh, I wouldn't want to. I hear people say this. Oh, I just want to give an offer, and I don't expect God to do anything. Well, I realize that's southern, you know, mannerisms or whatever it is, but it's God wants us to desire things from Him. That's why He does it. Now, He doesn't want us to, that to be the focus. That's why we guard our heart. That's why we protect against our motivation is giving but not giving to get. But yet, the balance of that, the, the caution with that is you can, you can have such a stiff arm on, football analogy, stiff arm on the idea that God could bless me and I wouldn't want, I wouldn't want to ask anything from God. You let, you let all those, Him help all those other people that really need it. Well, maybe he's called you to help those other people who really need it. Hmm. Maybe pride says, oh, I don't need help. I got this. That gives me chills. Because I can see and know how many of us, being resourceful people, will sit back and say, oh, no. You, God, you, you, I, got my, I got my stuff. You just take care of us. See, here's the thing. God is infinitely able not limited, to help you and everybody else that needs the help. But here's the thing. If you don't need the help, take it so that you can help others. If you have more than enough, what do you have? The ability to help somebody else. If you're just getting by with enough emotionally, I mean, I'm talking about all areas. You have, you ever, you ever I get this new saying, I stole it from a friend of mine, but it's, it's like I don't have the bandwidth to do that. 
In, in the world we live in today, part of the reason we used to struggle to, in our streaming and one of the requirements, you've got to have bandwidth. You've got to have the ability to, to uh, stream up. And, and, and when, you, when you do the, the, the uh, Internet stuff, they, they build everything for downloads. They want you to be able to, to download what you need. But where the limits come is the upstream. So there has to be enough, enough bandwidth, that, that, that digital pipeline, to, to, to flow that. Well, see, sometimes we have limitations, but I want you to see God, He is able. That's the first thing that just jumps out of me. All glory to God. First of all, putting the glory to God. But who is able? Don't put a limit on God. Don't put a limit. I mean, we start, we start talking about some things, and we go, ooh, that's big. Oh, how is that going to happen? Oh, how could God do that? And yet, we, we, if we, the places, I think it's a good illustration of what Jared said. The places that we get anxious about or have worry about or fear in are areas that we, we are, are concerned with God. You think about, first example that comes to my mind is, is David, the shepherd boy. He sees Goliath and immediately sees his God as able to use him to defeat this giant. Why? Because he had already defeated the lion and the bear. But he knew where his source of strength came from. It wasn't just his talent. It was his ability to have God in him. Now, I'm rooting for Kansas City, but I sure have loved, if you've seen any uh, of uh, Brock Purdy, was it Brock Purdy? Yeah, Brock Purdy. If you've seen any of the interviews with him, and I heard somebody, I've seen a few people slamming him, but just, just because he's bold in his faith. He's sharing about how, he, how he's learned to trust God. And his, his, his life is, is for God. He says, you know, if he wins, I, I hope he has a great game, amazing stats, and Kansas City wins. That's, that's, my, that's, my, that's my goal. Yeah, I, I, I want I want to see I want to see him him be successful. And if he ends up winning, I, I I'm not that diehard of a I'm a kind of a bandwagon Kansas City fan. I like them because they're close, but I, I've I've liked them a whole lot more in the last over the last you know six or five or six seven years you know. But here's the thing. I want God's people winning first, and that, that but of course there's Christians on Kansas City Chiefs too. So we we, we I love what he said though. He said I pray that I'm at best, I'm at peace that I'm handling. He doesn't pray, God, help me win. Because I guarantee you there's a whole host of, of Chiefs fans and players that are praying, God, you know that. I always wondered about that. I'd be praying, oh, God, let my, let my kid catch this ball or hit that, get that hit or get that. You know, oh, God, help me win or help us win, you know. And, of course, you know, I look across the, the, the stadium or across on the other side and there's other parents praying, oh God, you know, you know, we're all praying, asking God to help us win. Well, how does God handle all that? I don't know. But I do know this. There's more important things in life and, and where we want to be is right where God would have us to be. He's unlimited. The, the, that was part of uh, Brock's uh, uh, testimony was just that he'd learned to have peace in God. That no matter the moment, it's big for him. It's, it, he hadn't been there before. All these things. And before he had failed. He's got to overcome all those things. There's a lot of illustration there. But the thing is, the areas that we are, back to, to the point Jared brought out, the areas that we are the least confident in our God is where the fear and the doubt and the questions 
and the anxiety will come. See, here's the thing. I've seen God do amazing things all throughout the Bible, in my life, in the lives of others. And I was thinking about this. You know, there was the, I shared the testimony here a few weeks ago of, of how God just provided in, in one offering the $9,000 that was needed to fix all the electrical. This was five, six, eight years ago, whatever it was. No, it wasn't eight because I've been here eight. So six years ago. And then, I, and then I get to thinking about the enormity of, of, of where we want to go and what we want to do. And I got to thinking, what's the difference between, what's the difference between 9,000 and 900,000? Zeros. There's not zero difference. There's a big difference, but it's just zeros. And I got to thinking about that. And I thought, you know what? The God, God absolutely can do the things that, that we, we struggle with. We look at some of these things and we say, but God, how? And you pull that down into your life. You may say, you know, you may say God, I see where, where I've had success in this area, but God, I don't see how it can happen here. But listen, we don't have to see how. We just trust God and walk with Him. If we can see God as able, and then we begin to see Him doing it in and through us, then we got to ask ourselves, am I limiting His infinitely more? Because I won't even ask it or think it. He desires to do those things. So I want to challenge you with that thought process and realize that, that we need to know God. You say, well, I don't know if I know God that, that well or that way. Let's look at Exodus chapter 33. And I kind of hit on this. I, I barely got into this last week. And I want to, Exodus, second, second book of the Bible. This is, uh, there's a whole lot in here. But remember, Moses was the one who God preserved for a purpose, for a plan. He was raised under Pharaoh's, uh, by Pharaoh's daughter, Pharaoh's household. Uh, he was fa uh, uh, eventually through a long process. One short process, a long process, brought into a place to where he was out in a wilderness. And this goes clear back. We're not going to read it all, but Exodus chapter 3, if you want to just write down, study, just reading about it, it's where, it's where Moses comes along. He's, he's herding sheep. Now, he went from uh, living in Pharaoh's house, being ruler, being having everything, all power, to living out in a wilderness. And, and isn't God funny how... He takes him out in a wilderness. I don't, I, I don't think it was an accident that he ended up out there. How he got there, I, I, I'm not sure that that was all God's plan. But, how, but the fact that he was there absolutely was, and he spent all this time serving somebody else. And what God did in that time was he got a mentality out of his head of I am somebody just because of I'm Pharaoh's kid. I'm... I'm, I'm I have got all serve. I've got servants. People move when I say move. When it, they, he he had this. He had. I'm sure this level of pride that was going to struggle to to rely on God and surrender completely to God. But by the time God had dealt with him and the and the burning bush event happened, Moses had to have gone through a transformation over years that he was a she shepherd 
and he was, he was less than who he was before. But God wasn't done with him. And see, God was getting ready to elevate him, but he first needed him to be submitted to him, and he needed to have an image of himself of needing God. And so he brought himself to that point that he needed God. He didn't know he needed God yet, but he was about to be asked to do something that was so beyond where his capabilities were and where his comfort zone was. You remember, you know, God said, I want to send you to my people, and I want you to go tell Pharaoh. And he goes, man, God, I'm nobody. I, I, I can't talk good. I, he started giving all these excuses of why and all these reasons, and they were logical. He was limiting God in what he would do in his life by his mentality. And so God had to begin to transform his, his thought process into, wait a minute, if God is at work in me and God calls me to do it, we can absolutely do it. And so that is, is where we come to, uh, we're, we're, we're fast forwarding way into this. And so God had begun to, uh, he'd done all that work, he delivered them out of Egypt, he's, he's leading them, uh, he's beginning to lead them. And in chapter uh, 33, verse 1, And the Lord said to Moses, Get going, you and the people you brought from out, out of the land of Egypt. Go up to the land that I swore to, uh, to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And you, and, and uh, uh, yeah, I, let's see, where am I at? I told them, I will give this land to your descendants, and I will send an angel before you to drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. Go, go up to this land that flows out with milk and honey. He gives him a, pl a plan. He gives him an assignment. He tells him to do something. But notice he didn't tell him to do it on his own. He said, I'm going to send an angel. An angel's going to do the work. The angel's going to do the heavy lifting. The, the, I'm going to take care of you, but you've got to show up and you've got to go. Well, there was a process that Moses went through. And that's the first point that I want to make about us serving this God and being able to walk by faith where this God's concerned is, is that we've got to get to know that God the God of more than enough, the God of without limitation, the God who can absolutely work through you. There's a lot of limitations that we put on ourselves that God doesn't worry about. In verse 11, I want us to go down. Um, inside the tent of meeting, now just to, for, just to let you know if you're not familiar with this story, the tent of meeting was a place that, that was set outside the city. It was set in a certain place, and, and God would meet Moses there. It, it wasn't like us. You know, God, th there wasn't the option of coming into church or just praying anywhere. The, the Holy Spirit didn't dwell in them. It was, there was not yet available. So we had this tent of meeting. It says, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. And afterwards, Moses would return to camp, but the young man who was his assistant, Joshua, the son of Nun, would remain behind in the tent of meeting. Now, I want us to see here that Moses was, and I'm shortening this up a lot, but Moses had developed a relationship with God. He knew God. It began way back there at the burning bush event. And it progressed as he started 
to do daring things like go meet Pharaoh uh, and, and go, go tell him, you, you let my people go. And, you know, you, you start telling the most powerful man in the world what to do. <laughs> but he desired to know God more. And I want us to look at verse 14. The Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest, and everything will be fine with you. You see, he started having this relationship, this connection with God, and it was through his worship and his connection that he got to know him. We, we have the Word of God. We have the written Word of God. This is what we do on a daily basis when we, when we just take moments we begin to learn, him, learn about him through your word. We begin to have that personal relationship. Then Moses said in verse 15, If you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me, on me and on your people, if you don't go with us? For your presence among, uh, among us sets us, your people, and me apart from all the other people in the earth. So he says, man, your presence is, is vitally important. He, began, he wanted that, that relationship, and he said, don't, don't be sending us without you. They made that de their declaration. They made that their, their commitment, and they, they said that again later on. I think it was in chapter 40. They said it again where, God, I, we're not going if you don't go. He goes on in verse 17. He says, then the, then the Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed... Do what you've asked, for I look favorably on you, and I know you by name. So Moses knew him. He had this interaction, this connection. But Moses re responded, then show me your glorious presence. And the Lord replied, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will call out my name, Yahweh, before you. For I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion on anyone I choose. But you may not look directly on my face, for no one may see me and live. The Lord continued, look, stand near me on, the rock, on this rock, and as my glory, glorious presence passes by, I will hide you in the clev clevis of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and let me... Let you see me from behind, for my face you cannot see. So let me see my, my hinder parts or, or my, my back. My back. You can see parts of me, but you can't see my face. Now, that's, that was the thing he was protecting. But he said, God, the, the, I love the way the King James says it. He says, show me your glory. He's saying, God, I, I want to know you more. I knew you better at this time. He knew God. God knew him better than anybody, any." any I, I believe it would have been easy to say any man on the earth at that time because everybody didn't have access to God. And here was the man who already knew him that well, and he said, I want to know you more. And, and I'm going to tell you, that is, is a should become or needs to become a goal of ours. And you know, once in a while, we may get to know God at a level, but there's a power in wanting to know God more. Uh, Psalms 27, 11 says, Teach me how to live, O Lord. Lead me along the right path, for my enemies are waiting for me. I just, I, I just challenge you to, to begin in this place. And if we want to serve a big God and we want to recognize all that God can do and we want to see God 
do great and mighty things in our lives, part of it is through our having the faith to know God. And it begins with just salvation. That's a, that's a biggie. We need to know how good God is that He loves us enough to, but also to allow us to live with, the, with His mercy. The second part of this and, and how that we're going to live a, a true life of faith with this big God is to decide to start and don't quit. And I put notes, I'm going to switch you again. Uh, go to Psalms 51. I didn't tell her about that one either. Psalms 51. And, and I want us to see the psalmist David, and this is a, a tremendously powerful psalm, but it, it comes at, a, at an amazing place in David's life. This was King David who had all power, ruled the, ruled the nation. Had, he'd not only slain the giant as a teenager, but now he's, now he's become king. And now he's, he's, he's conquered armies and he has men that serve him. And there's, he has great forces and he has everything in his fingertips. And he falls to Bathsheba. He, he, he kills her husband and he has, commits adultery with her. But there was, a, there was a prophet who came, Nathan, and, and, and checked him. He said, hey, you need to, you've sinned, you've done this. And it broke David's heart. The thing was, it wasn't that David was the greatest example of, of a perfect life. It was that David was always repentant and was willing to come before God in this way. And he said, have mercy on me, O God. Because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stains of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt and purify me with my, uh, from my sin. See, he admitted his wrong and he repented. And he goes down in verse 7, he says, Purify me from my sins and I will be clean and wash me and I will be whiter than snow. He, he, he received that forgiveness. He was willing to. See, we got to be willing to start and then not quit. David started. He lived for God and he failed. And we can fail on a regular basis and probably will. But will we continue to come running to God and say, Okay, God, forgive me. I repent. And then let ourselves be forgiven. Self-loathing. self or, or, or the, the unwillingness to forgive ourselves is one of the ways the, de the devil will keep us locked out of this blessing. You know, he, he, wants you to, he wants you to be held in that place of condemnation instead of walking in the grace and living in that, in that life of forgiveness that God's given us. When we truly admit wrong, when we truly have a, a heart of, 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 of uh, brokenness, God doesn't leave us there. And he doesn't make us waller in it. And he doesn't keep pushing us down in it. And he doesn't keep, he allows us to, to come be forgiven. And then, uh, I love this verse, uh, let's read 8, 9, and then 10. But it says, oh, give me back my joy again. And you have broken me. Now, I let, now let me rejoice. In other words, your word came and it convicted me. So now God help me to, to uh, have my joy back and help me. Rejoice. You know, there comes a time when we have to just take God at His word. Okay, God, if you say so, I'm forgiven. I'm going to take you at your word. If you say I'm saved, I'm going to trust you. If you say I'm enough, you know, whatever it is. 
We've got to take that word. He says, don't look at my sins. Remove the sins. Admits wrong. Number two, it receives forgiveness. Number three, it transforms inside and out by the power of God. When we pray that prayer and we allow God to create in us a clean heart. God, take out any of the motives, any of the things that are wrong. You see, not everybody can handle that kind of thought. But when we get to that place, then we, then we begin to see God in His greatness be able to forgive. And, and then, the, then the verse 12, Restore to me the joy of my salvation and make me willing to obey. See, we've got to then walk in that transformed life. And you know what? Sometimes this chapter could be something that might have to be spent time on a daily, on a, on a weekly, on a monthly, annually, and sometimes maybe hourly, hourly. Restore to me the joy of my salvation and make me willing. What's that mean? God, I'm yielding to you. You change in me my desires, my willingness. Make me willing. So that's the second thing that I'm going to start and I'm not going to finish. I mean, I'm not going to quit. I'm going to finish. <laughs> i got a funny saying. You, you know what they say about a mighty oak. He's just a little nut that stood his ground. <laughs> Sometimes we just got to be willing to stand our ground. God, I'm going to take you at your word. Uh, Another great saying is it takes the hammer of persistence to drive the nail of success. We can't do it without, without God, but, but we can be persistent. We can hold our ground. Then, then the third thing is this that I want to get to is worship God and be transformed. You know, the whole book of Leviticus was a book that, uh, that told them how to come before God. One of the other amazing things is after they come out of Egypt, God held them for like a year learning how to worship, learning how to trust God, learning how to... He was teaching them, he was teaching them things that they needed to unlearn. We, we got to go through sometimes a process. Have you, ever, have you ever started somebody doing something that they'd already done on their own and they developed a bunch of bad habits? Taught a lot of people how to rope and... It's easier to start somebody that have never picked up a rope than it is somebody who's done it wrong forever. They've rolled that wrist the wrong way. Or same way with, with batting or, you know, there's some of those things, shooting a basketball if they've done it forever, you know, this wrong way or whatever it is. And, and, and sometimes it, 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 that muscle memory, the same way with us in our, in our spiritual walk, sometimes we have, to, we have to be trained in how to worship. But... The book of Leviticus, they came before God and were able to have a relationship. They learned to dedicate, uh, to be dedicated. They learned repentance. They learned redemption. They would bring an animal sacrifice, offering it for their sin, but we have the blood of Jesus. Today we should come before God with a repentant heart and make right anything that isn't. And we can... We can, have, we can then experience God's transforming power free, freely and not be encumbered by sin. You know, the problem is we've all sinned. We know that. We're all in need of a Savior. We've got to understand that. But we know that, that He gave us forgiveness through the cross, and, he knows, and we know as believers we have 1 John 1, 9, 
It says if we confess our sin, we're, he's faithful and just to forgive us. Now, I know many of you are going, okay, Pastor, I know this stuff. But what about those that don't? See, some of you are having to hear something you've heard many times and you have in check. But there are those that don't quite have this yet. They may be watching. They may be sitting here. It's a very important thing because until we get to this point and we, oh, and we get through this, the devil can constantly beat us away from the presence of God because of condemnation. I want us to look at 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. So in the back of your Bible, 1 John. Chapter 2. I quoted chapter uh, 1, verse 9, but I want us to look at, at, at this. My dear children, and you, you keep turning, I'm going to read verses. So. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. Is Jesus Christ. The one who is truly righteous, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but for the sins of the world. See, I want you to see there, the, first of all, that, that we have that advocate with the Father. Jesus, I wrote this down, Jesus holds our place before the Father. It means that, that we don't lose access because of sin, because Jesus took care of it. Power, the power of the cross extends beyond just our salvation. It, it, it enables us by Him being seated at the right hand of the Father and Him being our advocate, Him being the one who pleads our case. There's a great song. It's, it's, I think it's called Mercy, When Mercy Walked In. It says, I stood in the courtroom. The judge looked my way. He says, you're guilty. What do you have to say? He says, I, Your Honor, I have no defense, but that's when mercy walked in. Jesus walked in as, as the, the advocate. He's our defense. He's our lawyer, if you will. He could stand in and say, No, no, he's mine. No, no, he's forgiven. The blood is, is there. It's a powerful thing. Verse 3, he says, And we can be sure that we know him if we obey His commandments. If anyone claims to know God, but does not obey God's commands, then the person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's Word truly show how completely they love Him. That is how we know that we're living, that we're living in Him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. You say, boy, I'm trying. Well, just keep trying. Keep at work. Keep doing it. Begin and don't quit. But let God, through worship, transform you. Now, I want us to turn to Genesis chapter 22. We're going all the way by, all over. We went from Genesis to almost Revelations today. You can, just, you can leave here today and just come. Pastor, preach from Genesis to Revelation because I taught the books right before Revelation. Thanks for a chuckle. That's a bad joke. But here's, what I, here's, here's something. And, uh, we'll, we'll be able to scratch the surface of this before we wrap up today. But in Genesis chapter 22, and we're shifting back to an earlier time, and we're shifting back to a man named Abraham who became the father of 
the Jews. I mean, he was the original Jew. The race of people God established through him. It says, uh, sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Now, you understand that, remember, Abram and Sarai could not have children. Then God promised them. Then 24 years later, when he's 99 years old, God changes his name, changes Sarah's name. They, they conceived the son, and they had Isaac, their promised child. They'd spent all that time, and God gave them a miracle when they were old. The God who was, un, uh, or the natural conditions that said it's unable, proven to not work, God showed up, he could do, you know, we know that story, hopefully. But now this, fast forward, this is 10, 15 years later, teenage boy, Isaac, Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah, go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering as one of, uh, as one of the mountains which I will show you. Now, there, there's, a, there's a problem with this, right? Here's, you, you give my, my son, your son, now, the, the, the power of this is that he's asking for his son, which was enough, but he's asking also for his miracle. He's asking for something. We couldn't even conceive of this. And, and one question is, God, why? You don't believe in... You, you don't, uh, human sacrifice is wrong, and he later, in, and he condemns it. He makes it clear. Human sacrifice is wrong. God, why would you ask them of him? But notice what it said. It said that God was testing him. Notice, not tempting him. There's a difference. God doesn't tempt, but he tested his faith, and, and he had a reason for it. You know, sometimes God may ask for something, and that's what's wonderful about this illustration. Ultimately, if you haven't heard, I'll spoil the end of the story, he doesn't actually have to sacrifice him. But here's the deal. God's asking him for it. And I think with us, we've got to ask and see this. Now, here in, in uh, something that I found out this last week when I was studying this, I never, I never knew this before, but there is a commentary, the Hebrew commentary on the first five books called the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. There is a uh, Hebrew commentary that talks about this, and they explain that when there's, in grammar, in this instance, for this part, is that every time there's a comma, it was the place where Abram was Abraham was responding to God. So it would have been something like this. He said, you know, uh, yes, here I am, verse 2. Take your son, comma. Well, Abraham would have said, okay, wait a minute, God, I got two sons. Then, he, then he, God comes back with your only son. And then that little pause in there is like, your only son, okay, so you mean Isaac? God's response is yes, comma. But that's my miracle child. That's my promise from you. That's the one I, I love. And he says, yes, Isaac, comma, whom you love so much. And go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering, which in the place on the mountain where I'll show you. There was clear direction 
But after those initial questions, there was not another question. There was a period. And then verse 3 begins with the next morning. I think the King James says he rose early. He didn't wait till 3 o'clock in the afternoon. He didn't skip two or three days. He didn't go spend time loving on Isaac. He didn't go try to explain this to his wife. In fact, he probably thought he better get this done real quick because I don't want to say anything to her. No, I don't know what, I don't know. Here's, very possibly. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. The questions were removed once he figured out the clear, dis, clear distinction of what God... His question was not, you mean God, you're going to ask for Isaac. It was just a question of specifics. Which son? This one. Because, and here's why. Because Abraham knew God... If he was able to do it once, he could, he could provide that. And he knew God's heart enough that he knew he wasn't going to give that promise and take it back and remove it from him. But even no matter how God was going to do it, he knew in the end the promise that he'd given before was still going to stand after this act of following in obedience. Obedience said, you're going to have to take your son, you're going to, you're going to sacrifice him as a burnt offering. He had done hundreds, I guess, probably, lots of sacrifices. He understood what the process was, and he understood what was at the end of a burnt sacrifice. Nothing but ashes. But he also knew a God who could create or provide him a son from nothing could do it again. He knew God wasn't taking that to remove it from his life. He didn't understand why or how. His only question was, let me get this right. Let me get this straight. I want to do exactly what you say, God. And so his exchange was not, why are you going to do this? How are you going to fix this? What's going to happen when I do this? Those questions never even crossed his mind. He rose early in obedience once he knew specifically what God had asked him to do. So I think one of the things that's really awesome in this illustration, in this example, is that Sometimes we get in a hurry instead of taking the time to get clear direction. We say, you know, God here, yeah, and we, we, we take off. And, and, and I don't know about you, but if I hadn't asked the question about which son, I know which son I would have taken. You know, God's just saying, yeah, you know, the one, the, well, anyway, not that we don't love all our kids equally, all that you know, stuff, right? <laughs> Kidding. But here's the point. It says he rose up next morning. Abraham got up early, saddled his donkey, took the two of his servants with him. Now, I, I want to I I show you something, and it's called a polysyndodon, syndaton. It's a literary device that separates all these acts. There's a key word here in, in, in verse 5. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told his servants. The boy and I will travel over a little further. We will worship there, and then we'll come, we'll come back. This is why I knew Abraham knew. We're going to go over here and worship. We're gonna, I'm going to go over here and do what God said do. And we're coming back. Why? Because I know my God. I see my God without limitation. 
I don't understand how we're going to get to that end point, but I know what it is, and I trust my God. Now, this polysyndodon, I'm going to read this out of the King James Version. Or maybe it's New King James. I think it's New King James, actually. And I think she's going to put it up there. And I want to show you what this means. Polysyndodon is this. It's a literary device that uses multiple repetitions of the same conjunction, and, but, if, nor, whatever. Most commonly, the word and. Polysyndodor in the Greek means uh, it's, a, it's a many connected. But it, it's, it's something you see in Shakespeare. You see it in the King James Bible, different ones. Look at what God's doing in, in having this happen. So Abraham rose early in the morning and, so he rose early in the morning, and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place in which God told him. So all those separate obediences, all those separate steps. He didn't do part of it. He did all of it. And they're all separate acts of obedience. Verse 4, Then on the third day Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship. And we will come back to you. See, we will stands out, but it was because he knew his God. But because he had made it a practice of worship to obey. A lot of times we, we think we worship after we sing a slow song. Ever heard that? Fast songs are praise songs. Slow songs are worship songs. Well, he didn't have anything. He didn't have any music. He, he didn't, it wasn't about, it was obedience. Now, worship is powerful. Worship's important. Worship's all these. But I want you to see something. In that process, he, he used that polysyndodon, that, that literary device, to point to all those actions, all those things, all those ways that he was obedient. And he called at the end, me giving up, the, not putting anything between me and God was his act of worship. And that's what he, that's what that was all about. God's test was, will there be anything between me and you? When, when Romans 12, 1 says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is my reasonable service, he, he's, saying, he's, he's saying, put it on, put it on the altar and see what's burned up and see what comes out of it. Now, we know the rest of that story, and I'm out of time, but the rest of the story is this, is that he gets up there, he pulls the knife, and he's ready, to, ready to, and willing and God says, the angel of the Lord said, hold up, wait. Now, aren't you glad he was obedient? And he could hear and obey because he's in the act. And God says, wait, 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 wait. He had said before that when, when Isaac asked him, where's the, the ram? Everything else is provided, the wood, the fire, the, the altar. We're, we're here, but, but what about the man? And, God, and he, Moses or, or Abraham's words where God will provide himself a lamb. God, uh, uh, Abraham knew. He didn't know how. He just knew God. See, that's the key to us beginning to know God. It's so easy to trust when we know him. And it's so easy to, to, to not limit him when we know him. That form of worship and that obedience, you know, it starts in small things. God may be, you know... I mean, there's different times God's asked of me uh, things of me. You say, well, you're a preacher. Well, yeah. My level of 
surrender and giving up stuff may have been higher than some. But we got to all ask ourselves, what's that, what's that thing that we'd say? Oh, you know, I just love this or love that. Oh, God, don't ask me to, don't ask me to give away that, you know. There have been a lot of times things were very valuable to me, and I'd think, oh, I love this horse or this boat or this saddle or this whatever. There's times, remember, there's times when we put stuff on the altar, God may take it. But here's the thing. I heard, I heard a statement that says, at the darkest times of life, you may think you're being buried, but you're probably just being planted. What if you're just being planted? See, that's the thing is, when we give something to God, the things that are the scariest to give to God, it's because we don't trust God enough to, to be able to do what He did. But when we can see it, and we know God, and we turn loose of it, we're going to get to see one of two things. Either something better come in return, or it's something that was going to lead us, put us in a place we didn't need it to be. Because I can guarantee you, if there's one thing I could impart into every one of you, is a knowing that God's way is the best way. His place, His, that's the best way. You don't always understand it. It's like, why? Boy, I'll tell you what, sometimes we sit back and, and God doesn't require anything except our willingness to say, all right, here it is. And then he gives it back to us with more blessings. So let's pray. Father, we just come before you today, and I just thank you for your goodness. You love us. I thank you for people who are, who are willing to be challenged to this point. Not every church wants to hear this kind of message. Not every person has that kind of commitment that would say, okay, God, I, I want all of you. I want to know you more. I want to be willing to follow you in worship. I want to, I want to be willing to, to offer the, whatever it is that you would ask up, knowing that if it's, if it's taken, it, it, it was something that wasn't good, you always replace it with something better. I thank you, Lord God, that we can trust our lives to you and that Lord bottom line is we want to we want to be in a place that says God don't let anything be between me and you no material possession no dream or goal that thing we've worked so hard for or, or, or held out God if it's not of you we want to give it to you Father I thank you and I praise you that we'll hold on to everything loosely so that you don't have to pry it out of our hands so, Father, today I praise you that you, you give us the faith in you. That's where it all begins. A confidence and know that you're a good God. And that, Lord, if we hold on to it loosely and you ask for it, we can freely release it. And when we freely release it to you, that, God, I thank you and I praise you that you provide a better, something better. We give you praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen.